I want to begin with a picture. Uh, I'm wondering if you recognize this person in this picture uh, up here. Uh, it's okay if you don't. His name is actually Benny Hinn. He actually came out with a, a fairly stunning admission here a few weeks ago. And th this is what he said. He said, I am correcting my own theology. And you need to know it, all of you. He said, uh, the blessings of God are not for sale. And miracles are not for sale. And prosperity is not for sale. In fact, he goes on to say that he now believes that such give-to-get theology is offensive to God. Now, that's saying something for him, because Benny Hinn, throughout his career, has been a proponent of what's known as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. It's this idea that God rewards active faith, so you give a little bit so he can get, you can get some more. Does that make sense? Now, you're... I'm really thankful that uh, he was able to come out and say that. Now, you may be saying to yourself, look, I, I don't know this guy, and I don't really care about this guy, so what's, what's the point? Well, the point is that even if we're not uh, aware of, of this prosperity gospel, I think there are times in which we do something similar. You know, it kind of goes like this, you know, God is good, I'm not so good, I need to do better. And so in doing better, you know, God, if, will you reward me? You, you know, if I take care of some business, will you take care of some of my business for me? And we have this sort of transactional relationship with God. Well, that's basically at the heart of it, this idea of give to get. If I give a little bit, you know, then God, you're going to give me something. And I would say this, it is not the gospel, Okay. And so this morning I want to do something. I want to lay out this, this sort of vision, uh, this give-to-get idea, and lay that and compare that to uh, the Apostle Peter and to what he, his vision of faith is. You know, I love Peter. Peter is uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, and uh, I like him, you know, because in so many ways I can relate to him. It's like he's impulsive, he did all these kind of great things, and at the same time he completely crashed and he, he did dumb things too. And so I'm like, yeah, I, I can relate to him. And yet God uses him in a powerful way and calls him to serve and to, to lead God's people, and he does. And so towards the end of his life, he actually writes a couple of letters to his friends, and they're found at the end of the New Testament. They're, they're 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I would encourage you just to read those, those two little letters. They're, they're amazing. But the great thing is he's talking to a group of his friends, and he's encouraging them. They've all been scattered because of persecution. They've all had to leave their homes. They've had to leave lots of things behind, maybe been separated from family. And he's just reminding them of some things. And encouraging them. And one of the things that, I, that I, I know that he says is this. More than health or wealth, we need hope. More than health or wealth, we need hope. This is how he says it. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You know what Peter's saying? There's something better that's coming. There's this day, with all its hardships, all its heartache, all of these things, but there's something better that's coming. 
In fact, he says, these treasures, the treasures that, that God has for us, they're, they're greater than our earthly treasures. It's this inheritance kept in heaven waiting for us. Because of what Jesus has done, this life is not all that there is. That's what Peter is saying. That's important, isn't it? You know, I was uh, recently with a friend of mine. His name is Ron. And uh, we were in a group of uh, all guys, and he, he walks in, you know, and he was telling us a little bit of an update. He'd been doctoring. He said, you know, guys, if you're a man, you've all got to prostrate. He said, I want you to be paying attention to that. Because now he has been diagnosed with cancer. And he goes on, he said, you know, I'm not asking for anybody to lay on any hands or anything, you know. I thought, oh, praise Jesus for that, you know. But he was asking for prayer. He said, I'm entering into this season of being treated for this cancer. But then he said something remarkable. He said, you know, I am convinced that I am completely healed in the heavenlies. And I'm called just to live into this vision that God has for me. Like, wow. What is he saying by that? Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, you know what? I would long for God to heal me completely right now. To know that. To know that I'm free of this cancer, to be free. But here's the deal. One day, I'm going to be face-to-face with Jesus. And I know that I'm going to be completely restored, completely whole, completely healthy, and I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to live into that vision Why? Because there's this day, yes, but there's that day that is to come. More than health or wealth, Peter says, we need hope. We need hope. Our greatest treasures are not here. They're waiting for us. It's like an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. In fact, he says, some of our greatest treasures aren't even the tangible things that we own. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of this same chapter. These have come, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, your faith is worth more than gold. Our greatest treasures are not these earthly treasures. It's so important. So the question is, you know, why would we ask you to give? Right? We do that every week. We we invite you. We say, hey, would you please give? Give generously to the work of the church. So why would we do that? Well, it's not to get something. It's really not. Here, I want to suggest some things. I think the first reason why we invite you to give is to remind us, remind me, remind all of us, that this is temporary, this life. Guess what? There's not enough wealth in the world to to prevent death. It's 100% sure. And so we are simply stewards Stewards of what God has given us 
for this little window of time. This is all going away. It's temporary. And so as we give, we're just saying, you know what, God, I know that here you've granted me this privilege to take care of your resources for this time. I want to give back, and I want to trust that you will continue to provide into the future. So another reason why I'm convinced why we, we give is this, to release us from this illusion of control. As if we have created our place in life. Now, God has given us smarts and wisdom, and maybe he's given us some ability to, to make money or whatever it is. But think about this. I, I heard this from a friend. There are 700 million people who live on less than $2 a day. Now, did you have anything to do with being born here rather than there? Maybe some of us did, but, but very few of us did, right? And simply by being born where you are, you are way ahead of that curve. You had nothing to do with it. Nothing. So we give in a sense to say, you know, I'm, I'm releasing this idea that I'm in charge, God. I'm going to trust you because you provided for me in the past. I'm going to trust you moving forward and believe that you have something for me. I think another reason why we invite you to give is this. It's to release God's resources for the good of others. Think about it. We get to participate in what God is doing in the world. And as we re release resources, we are providing for God's work in other places. God often provides through his people. And so he provides in our Jerusalem, in our church, in our setting. But he also provides outside of our walls, in our community, as we release funds, as we release resources, as we give back to the kingdom of God and even to the ends of the earth. So Peter's vision of faith is not, not give to get, but more than health or wealth. We need hope, friends, that yes, there's this day, there's this day with all its hardships, all its heartache and hurt. But there's that day that is to come. What are you living for? Why is it that we're so stuck on this day? Here's the second thing that Peter says. He says, more than happiness... We are called to pursue holiness. Now in chapter 1, he says these, these, this verse. I'm going to read a verse prior to verse 14. But he says this. He says in verse 13, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In other words, set your hope on Jesus. Focus on that day. Focus on him, the one who is to come. And then he goes on to say this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Then he goes on to describe in chapter 2, how do we do that? <laughs> 
Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and, every slan- and slander of every kind. In other words, take off these dirty rags. Take off these things that soil us. Rid yourself. Take off. And then he says, pursue something. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Be holy. You know, as a pastor, I've heard a few times, you know, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. Well, that's true. I truly believe that God wants you to be happy. He wants you to find deep joy, deep contentment in him. But maybe, maybe he's calling you first to holiness. Maybe so that you can experience that deep joy, that deep contentment in him. I know that many of us are in hard situations, whether it's a a hard relationship or a hard marriage or a hard situation at work or whatever circumstance it is. But maybe, rather than our happiness, maybe God is calling us to holiness and he's saying, I want to work on you. I want to work on your character. I want to refine you. I want to work on your inside so that you can change who you are on the outside. What if, more than your happiness, God wants to first invite you to pursue this idea of holiness? Let me just say this. Peter also goes on to say this in chapter 4. More than suffering, or distance from suffering, I should say, suffering is central to the mission and the life of Christ. This is what he says in chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insolent because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Those are hard words. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was actually on a retreat. Now, you never go to North Dakota to go on retreat, right? We get to go to nice places. So I was actually in Southern California. I was up in the mountains around Hemet Valley, San Bernardino Mountains. I was up about 5,000 feet. I was with an amazing group of people. I'm looking around this room and I'm going, wow, this is, this is incredible. Well, in the room were James and A.B. I don't even know A.B.'s last name, but James and A.B. are from India. And A.B. actually leads a ministry that his father began in South Asia. They've planted thousands of churches. And A.B. was sharing with us, with the group, he said, you know, there's not a day, at least if not a day, it's not a week goes by where I hear something that is, is really disturbing. He said, a church that maybe is, is burnt down or a family that's beaten or, or maybe a pastor who, who's arrested. 
He said, it's, it's unbelievable. And he said, a few months ago, I actually got, got word that really disturbed me. He said, we had gone into, about 18 months ago, we went into this place, this little tribal region, to this, this tribe that had never heard the name Jesus. And they went there. And they shared the good news of, of the gospel. And they show, talked about God's love for them. And there was a response. And this little fledgling church was begun. And out of that fledgling church, there was this young couple, this young pastor and his wife who said, you know, we'd like to pastor this, shepherd this group, this fledgling group that is beginning. And so they did. But then they didn't realize this, the forces outside that wanted to destroy that movement. And one day, that young pastor knew that there was a group of people that were out to get him, and so he thought the most prudent thing to do was to leave his wife, now who's pregnant eight months, and his mother in his home, and that he would sort of distract this group, and he would run off because they were really after him. Well, the reality was that was the wrong thing to do. They didn't do that. In fact, the worst thing that could happen, happened. They went into that home and they beat those women and they gang raped those women. And this pastor was just devastated. And A.B. is devastated. And so weeks went by, he was finally able to get to this place and he could not believe his eyes. This woman, this wife, ran to him with a, now a little baby and said to him, God is faithful. God is faithful. And said, Davy, would you please pray for and dedicate this child? And so A.B. prayed with tears running down his eyes and he, he named this child Hope. And then he said to us, why? Why? I don't know why. I, I've never had to suffer like that. Never had to sacrifice like that. Not in that kind of way, ever. I don't know why. And yet Peter says, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not. I have overcome the world. He called us to deny ourselves, to take up a cross, to follow him. Now I know many of us don't understand that sort of external kind of pressure that many of our fellow believers around the world feel every day. Now, some of us know suffering though, don't we? We know suffering. A friend of mine actually is teaching a class on the persecuted church and his colleague who's teaching the class with him wrote these words. I want you to hear this. He says, we seem to live in a culture, Christian and secular, that defines happiness in terms of distance maintained from any kind of suffering. So we'll mask it in every kind of way. We don't want to feel pain. But the church desperately needs a cadre, a, a group of people who realize that suffering is central to life, integral to mission, and even and essential to true joy. Only in this way can we have churches where people are allowed to admit their failures and do not need to pretend and where the overwhelming love of God is experienced freely. In other words, 
We need to be able to take off our masks and say it's hard. We need to be honest and truthful. And yet, God is in the midst of that. He is with you. You know, there is a serious strain of bad religion out there that says this, God is good, I'm not so good, I need to do better. Let me tell you what, that's not the gospel, friends. Here's the gospel. God created us in his image to be in fellowship with him, to experience his freedom, his joy, his peace, all of that. And yet sin entered into the world and it messed it up. It's affected all of our life. All of creation even. And yet God sent Jesus to do something amazing. To die. And he rose again. Why? So that we could be made right with God. We could be made right. It's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we have done. We simply receive this thing like a gift and we live into this vision. This vision of freedom, of joy, of sometimes challenge. We don't give to get. No, we've already received everything that we need through Christ. Do you hear me? It's amazing grace. You don't have to work, friends. Just step into by faith and trust. Believe it. So how in the world do we do that? How do we live this life? You know, so I'm on retreat, okay? So I have a a friend I'm getting to know, and he comes to me and says, Hey, you want to go running with me in the morning? No. No. I'm thinking, okay, you know, he's really enthusiastic, and I just got caught up in his enthusiasm. Okay, let's do this thing. Yeah, we can do it. We're up 5,000 feet. We're going to go trail running, you know? And so, hey, no problem. Let's do it, okay? So I get up 5.30 in the morning, you know, it's bright and early, and I'm I'm getting out there with him, and he's going, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a quick eight miles, he says to me. Number one, I don't do quick eight anything. I don't do eight, okay? So mistake number one, never go trail running in the mountains with an ultra marathoner. This guy runs 100 milers. He's going to do a quick eight. I'm like, okay. So we get ready to go, and I'm like, you know, in my mind, there's no way. But I'm going to start out. So I go, I start going, and the first mile was awesome. The first mile was all downhill, okay? <laughs> so we're going about 600 feet down, and we get into the second mile. And let me tell you what, you know, the, the, the weatherman would have said it was steady, no wind. But I was the gust, okay? I was breathing so hard. I was sucking air so hard. I was, I was creating gusts. We get into this certain place, and I'm thinking, you know what? How about you just go? You do your quick eight, and I'm you can come back because there's an out and back, you know. You come back and catch me and and we'll be good. And so he goes. 
Well, guess what? At 5.30 in the morning, it's really dark. And he has the light. <laughs> Mistake number two. Never run on the mountain trails at 5.30 in the morning without a light. And so he goes and suddenly it is really dark. And so I'm like scrambling through trying to figure out where in the world am I? It's so easy to get off this path. And I'm, then I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to wait for the sun to, to rise, you know, and get a little light. We'll be good. And I started hearing noises. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be eaten by a mountain lion. So I'm like scrambling, and I turn around, and I finally get back to this main road where we went down, and I, I, I make my way back to the lodge. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, I made it back. <laughs> but I thought to myself, wow, this is such a picture of our journey in some ways of the Christian faith. It's like, yeah, we can get caught up in enthusiasm, and we go, yeah, we're going to do this thing. We jump in, and then we go. We kind of find ourselves on a trail. Maybe it's not where we expected to be. In fact, we don't even know the way anymore. I'm thinking, yeah, we all need a light. Psalm 119 says, Your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need God and we need his revelation to us to guide us. And then I thought, you know, yeah, we need that sort of enthusiastic one, that the one that will take us to places we've never gone before, but we also need at least one or two or maybe a whole cadre of people who will run with us or walk with us or even crawl with us on this journey. We need to do it in a company. You know, it's too hard to run mountain trails without a light, or without some people. We need each other. Let's pray. God, I think of uh, how many times I have tried to negotiate something with you when really all you desired was my presence. and my full devotion to you. God, I think about how many times I um, have gone out on my own. And what I really needed was some truth from you, some wisdom from you. God, I pray that you would help us um, to find joy and contentment in you and to trust you even in the midst of what may be hard times or challenging things. To not expect you to give us something, but to simply live in the joy of your presence and trust that you will provide everything we need so that one day we can be with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.